the fact is he's challenging us, saying to us, accept this challenge. Prove me to his children. Prove me. And that's what we want to do. We want to prove that the blessings of God are real. We want to prove that the blessings of God are present. We want to prove that the blessings of God are unlimited. We want to prove that God will do everything He has said He will do. King James is the place that the proof is, is said. That's where the prove me words occur in the King James Version. It's very much the same, though, in the English Standard, which says, put me to the test. God says, for you and me to put him to the test, to see if he will faithfully do what he said he would do. The New, the New International Version, as almost identical in the Amplified, says this. Test me in this. Test me in what I'm saying. In the words I've declared. Test me in this, Lord. And see if I, test me and see if I will not, as your Lord and Savior, do what I've said I will do. And then the New Living Translation, which is more of a modern way of expressing the words of the Bible, says, puts it in this phrase. Try it. Put me to the test. But all of them say essentially the same thing. Test me. Prove me. Do what I said to do in order to prove that I will follow through and do for you what I have promised to do. So we have to learn to prove God in every way. Proving Him by faith is the particular aspect that I want to touch on today. There's a, stand, there's a sun standstill faith. Joshua said to the sun when the, it was about to set in darkness to come so that he could finish the battle and complete the victory over the enemies, for the sun to stand still. And there was more light given to them to finish the battle. There's a fiery furnace faith. Get dropped down in the furnace has been heated seven times hotter than it's ever been before. And God brings you out of it. There's a lion's den faith. Where you're thrown in with the ravenous animals who are expected to tear you apart and destroy you. And God spares you and brings you out in victory on the next day. There are all kinds of faith. But here's a faith that I want to stand in. I want to march in. I want to hold fast to God in saying, to him, in saying this to Him. I've done everything that I believe you've asked me to do. And I've got to be able to say that. I believe that I've done, Lord, everything you've asked me to do in order to prove you. My obedience is complete. I will continue day by day to obey you and trust you. And in doing so, I am proving you, Lord, I am expecting you to do what you said you would do. And when we prove God, what did he say he would do? He said he would pour out upon us blessings beyond our capacity to contain. He will give us the overflow. We'll see much more of the blessings, the favor, the presence, the power, 
our lives that we've ever seen when we stand and prove Him. Prove Him. When we stand and prove that what He has said is true. This is the way we do it. First by faith. So what is this kind of faith? There are various elements to faith. As I was driving into church this morning, I heard a person speaking on faith. Preacher, and I'm not criticizing what he had to say. I'm just simply telling you that what he was saying about faith is not what I'm telling you today. Here is a faith that I'm proclaiming to you this morning that is a non-failing faith. This is a productive faith. This is a faith of expectation that God has placed upon himself. I have not placed upon God things that I want him to do and expect him to do that are my choice and my desire. I have believed that what God has said about himself is true. That is, that he will honor his word. He will do what he has promised to do when I do what he has asked me to do. I, don't, I say this carefully. I don't want you to carry it too far. I don't want you to take it beyond what I'm saying. But one morning, quite a long time ago, I was praying and seeking the Lord, and I felt like the Lord was speaking some things to my heart. And I heard this for the first time ever. It shocked me a little bit. I heard this for the first time. I felt like the Lord said to me, if you will do what I want you to do, I will do what you want me to do. And that was the first time, although I didn't put it in this context, that was the first time I came in to prove me faith. I never connected it with prove me in Malachi chapter 3. But as time has gone on, I've heard it come in different ways, but really with the same message. If you will, I will. If you will do what I have asked you to do, I will do what you have asked me to do. That's a powerful recognition. And I said to you, I don't want you to take that too far into detail. It is a statement of God that I believe is supported in this promise of God to allow us to prove him. I believe this is just exactly what it has said. And I'm going to show you other scriptures this morning that have made that revelation clear to me, and I hope that it will be a revelation that is made clear to you. So faith, faith is believing what God says. Let's put it in the simplest terms. Faith is believing that everything God has said is true. Do you know that you cannot be saved without believing in miracles. Now, when you come to salvation, you may come to salvation not know anything about anything that relates to God. That's where I was. When I came to salvation, I didn't know anything. But I soon learned, as I was taught God's Word, that I needed to believe in the miraculous to be saved. You have to believe in the virgin birth to be saved. This is not a doctrine. This is just, this is the reality. Because you see, if Jesus wasn't virgin born, he couldn't be qualified to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. I don't have time to teach that, but that's a simple statement. You have to believe in the virgin birth. 
Because Jesus must be virgin born in order to qualify as the Lamb of God to be sacrificed vicariously for all the sins of the world to take away the sins of the world. So to be saved, you've got to believe in the virgin birth. To be saved, you have to believe in the miracle of Calvary, that one could die for all, that one could offer a sacrifice for sin for all the people of all the world, for all the history of mankind. That's a miracle. You have to believe that. You have to believe in the resurrection to be saved. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you need to come and have a good talk with me. If you have one, eh, he may have risen from the dead, maybe in spirit. No, literally his body, dead, laid in the tomb, was given new life by the Spirit of God, according to the Bible, and he rose from the dead to live forever. You've got to believe that to be saved. And this is what the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that he's virgin born, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead. And then to emphasize that, and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You have to believe. You have to believe in miracles. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So to stand on miracle faith is required for salvation. Now the classic illustration, or the classic, I should say, definition of faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, King James. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a substance. You don't think of faith as a substance. Faith is a substance. Faith is an evidence of things hoped for, things not seen. So faith is believing before you have it that God's word and God's promises are true. But you cannot have faith without obedience. It's essential and required because faith is believing every word God has said. You have to believe that what is written in this word is true. You have no other standard. You have no options. You have no other way to turn. My only option is the word of God. I have no other direction. I have no other way to turn. I have no other place to go. If I want to know God and God's purpose and God's will, I have to find it in this word and believe it here as the Holy Spirit opens my heart to it and enlightens me to receive it. And this is what and, and this is the essence of faith. Believing every word that God has said. The Bible says no word spoken by God can ever fail. So you want the answer, we say and believe what God's Word says. Now here's what happens to us in our erudition, excuse me, in our high education about the Word of God. Here's what happens to us. Well, it may not be God's will. Well, maybe the Lord didn't mean it quite that way. That's a far stretch. He may have meant it not quite that far as we're taking it. Well, I, 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 I know that when we say it in Jesus' name, but 
But, but that's just the way we end our prayer. I don't know for sure what that means. There's a lot of all these reasons. In, in other words, we can find many reasons for God not doing what he said he would do. And when we do, every time we do, we're weakening our own faith, challenging ourselves with the wrong assumptions. What we have to believe and stand on is that God will do, he will do, without question, without fail, with certainty, and positively, he will do everything he's ever said he will do. I can't be God's timekeeper, but I can be God's declaration of truth. I know God will do everything he's ever said he will do. And that's for his word. And if I know God, if I know God has spoken to me in my heart, I know God has given me a message of truth. I know that God has put it and planted it within me so that there's no doubt about it. God has spoken and said this to me. Then I have to believe that God will do it. Whatever the enemy says makes it complicated for it to happen. I have to believe and do believe that God will do what he said he will do. We say and believe, we speak and believe, we declare and believe the words that God has said. It isn't just a matter of repeating words and speaking positively. You know, this, this idea of your words will condemn you, your words will exalt you. There's, some, there's truth in that, but that's been carried so far that it's beyond what is really true. This is what's true about speaking words positively, speaking what God said. Speaking what God said, because God's word is always positive. And when you speak his word, you're speaking truth. You know you're speaking truth when you say what God said. Even if you don't have an explanation for it and why certain things have not happened that you have expected, you still hold on to what God has said and you believe what God has said. That's how we get healed. That's how we get set free. That's how we stay delivered. That's how we stay whole in the fullness of the grace of God and the plan of God for our lives. Holding on to what God has said. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. I'm reading the King James now. Must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when you come to God by faith, you must first believe that God is really present with you and that God is hearing you when you pray. If you go down and pray saying, Lord, just in case you're listening, I want to tell you about this. I'm sorry to be talking to you, Lord, here in the middle of the night. I just happened to wake up. I don't want to disturb you, but I've got these things on my mind. If you, if you don't believe that God is with you present at all times, that you can call on him at all times, and every time that you speak the name of the Lord, he hears you because he is there. He is real. He is alive. You're not going to hear much, you're not going to hear much back in answer from God. But I'm going to tell you this. You also have to believe he's going to answer. You have to believe, that's what I just read from the scripture, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. You believe you're seeking God, but you're not really going to receive anything. I'm just seeking God because pastor said I needed to pray at least 10 minutes every day. 
And I need to get up, give up a slice of bread for my fast, and I do that every day. I eat one slice left. I'm going I'm to I'm be part of the place. It takes more. It takes more, friends. We've got to go all the way. All the way with Him. We have to believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, faith is supported by obedience. You cannot continue in faith unless you live in obedience. In other words, you can't really... This may be the register version, but this is my translation of it. You cannot really believe what God is saying unless you obey what you understand that He is saying. If you don't live in obedience, you can't, you can't really have faith for what God wants to do for you. That's what prove me faith is. Prove Him by doing everything He said to do. Prove Him by taking every step He said to take. Prove Him by following Him ultimately, completely, totally. When God says do it, do it and believe it. You say, well, He spoke to me about giving something that I just can't afford to give. Start making payments on it. You do it everywhere else. You make payments on everything else. Make payments on the promise of God if that's what you have to do. God told me, I just felt like the Lord really was telling me to give $1,000. Let's just up it a little bit. I felt like God was telling me to give $5,000. If God knew I couldn't do that, I don't know why God would ask me to do it. Maybe I was just confused. Maybe I just didn't hear him right. Maybe, 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 maybe. But I really do believe God told me, but I just, ah, maybe, Because I know, and God knows, I can't do that. I'm not asking you for $5,000 this morning, folks. <laughs> Please don't get alarmed. Don't jump up and walk out. <laughs> I'm just making an illustration of how God may deal with you. And because God asks you to do something that you don't look at your bank account and see it's possible to do it today, doesn't mean God hasn't told you to do it. Faith is obedience. And if God's told you to do it, I know you're squirming right now. Not all of you, but some of you. Because I'm touching on a point right now that God's already made to you. But listen, I've made payments on promises of God. And God's told me to do something, I pay it. Keep a track of it. But it's all paid out. And if God told you to do it, if you want the blessings of God. Now, you may not care whether the blessings of the Lord are poured out on you in such great abundance you can't contain. It may not matter that much to you. It matters a lot to me. So I'm preaching this morning believing that everybody feels about it like I do. And that everybody ought to have the same attitude toward it that I do. I want the blessings of God in the greatest abundance that He will give them. I want more than God has already given me. I want a greater measure than I've ever had. I want to receive an excellence, an abundance, an overflow beyond anything that I've ever been able to calculate. I've imagined great things from God. I want God to do things greater than I've imagined because His imagination is greater than mine. His fulfillment is greater than I can expect. And I want all that God has. If I'm going to receive everything that God has, I have to give Him everything that I have. I will 
confess to you that there are some scriptures that I've struggled over. I've sat down and talked to other preachers about them. They don't know any more about them than I do. They say the same thing I think. But here's what I'm going to give you some scriptures that are that I will not allow to be stumbling blocks in my faith. I am going to believe what Jesus said. I'm going to tell you some things he said that you do not need to take for granted and just pass on quickly by. John chapter 15 is a great, great passage. Chapter 14 and chapter 15. I always recommend people read the Gospel of John when they're just getting started to walk with the Lord. But when you get on further into this Gospel, it challenges your faith like no other place that I know. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, now listen now, I'm just reading right out of exactly what it says. I'm not going to quote it, I'm going to read it exactly. Jesus is speaking. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here's the condition. And every promise of God that I know of has a condition. Even salvation has a condition. You have to to repent, confess your sins. And by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. Even salvation. Every promise I know of has a condition. Here's the condition of what Jesus said. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask what you will and it will be done. So this is where I started to struggle. My struggle, am I abiding in the Lord the way he wants me to? So I started studying about abiding and looking for answers about this. And I found some answers. I found, I found the word of God saying this same thing in a little bit of variation again and again and again. All right, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I know that this morning I'm preaching things that are beyond the faith that you some, some of you have attained. I know I'm going beyond something that you've ever tried to experience or a few, some of you. So, I, so I, I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying that I do understand, but try to follow me. As strange and as weird and as outrageous as this sounds, as outrageous as this sounds, and in some ways it does sound outrageous, to think that if you abide in him and his words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and he'll do it. I said, I went and talked to some preachers about this. I was sitting down at the general council of the Assemblies of God where I thought I'd find the best thinkers of pastors and preachers I'd find. I sat down with a couple of them and I brought this very scripture up. And I said, do you believe that? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what does it mean to you? <laughs> They didn't have any better insight into it than I did. They've been trying to find out the essence of it, the fullness of it, the, the grasping of it themselves. Not criticizing for that. I'm, I'm in the, I was in the same place as, and still in to some extent. Because here's what I want to know for sure. I believe I know now. I want to know that I am abiding in him. That I am in him fully, completely, totally absorbed in him. And that his words are abiding in me. And I've taken all that he said and I believe everything that he said. 
I've tried to act on everything I know that God has said for his word to abide in me. Because his, he tells me, Jesus said, if that happens and I make that, that fullness, call it that fullness, that fullness of abiding in him, that fullness of his word abiding in me, when I come to that point and that occurs, I will be able to ask God for the things that I desire and he will do it. Now, what I have also learned as I've progressed along the way is that I don't desire the same things that I always did. That the closer I get to abiding in the depth of Him, and the more His Word is abiding in me, the more the things that I feel I want to bother to ask Him for change. I don't ask Him for the same things I used to ask Him for. I'm not going to tell you some of the, I have told you some of the things that I'm not going to tell you some of the things I have asked God for. They're not any funnier than things you've asked Him for, by the way. Like when the word of faith was a great movement and it was all faith, faith, faith. And the word of faith arose and churches came up and formed as word of faith churches. And people believed that you could state faith and do anything. I remember I was sitting in a meeting one time with a, a group of faith believers, I'll call it that. Uh, I was there too, so I was one of them. And one was sitting beside me said, that fly, you know, that fly that was buzzing around, because when we got started in here, I said, oh, I didn't really notice. Oh yeah, that fly was buzzing around, really bothering about just annoying lot. She said, you know, I said, by faith in Jesus' name, fly, stick to that wall. You can't move anymore. I never saw that fly, but she said that he was stuck somewhere. Another lady along about that approximately same time said to me, and I, heard, I think I heard her say it in a meeting of a few other people not talking directly to me, but with a few other people, she said, you know, I fixed my faith. I focused my faith. And I believe God's going to see this. Is what it, and this is the kind of thing people were taught to do. She said, you know, I cut out a picture of a Lincoln Continental. I've always wanted one. I cut out a picture of a Lincoln Continental town car when they made the town car. So I put that picture up on my refrigerator, put a magnet up there, and said, that's my faith. I believe God is going to give me a Lincoln Continental, a Lincoln town car. I'm believing. Every time I walk by there, I'm claiming it. I'm claiming it by faith. I'm saying, Lord, it's mine. Lord, it's mine. Nothing wrong with Lincoln Continentals. Lincoln's a good car. Nothing wrong with Cadillacs. Cadillacs are good cars, aren't they? Actually, there's nothing wrong with Fords and Chevrolets. I drove a Chevrolet for years, little old Chevrolet that took me to preach the gospel all over North, North and South Carolina, so I can't complain about a Chevrolet. That, that, my point is that's, that, that is immaterial. And if you've got enough faith to believe for that, let's don't make our requests of God all about us and what I want you to do for me, what I want you to give me. That's actually a squandering of our ability to believe. 
there are things that we ought to believe God for. Far above and far beyond such things as fastening a fly to the wall. Or believing God's going to give you a Lincoln Continental. If you get one, I'll take it as a gift of God. But I'm not going to focus my faith on that. I'm going to focus my faith on what God wants to do for me. What God wants me to be. Where He wants to take me. There are things I ask for this church. And I'm not asking them for me. I'm asking them so God's kingdom can be advanced. And God's name will be glorified. And he'll receive the praise for all that he has done by his unlimited power. So here's the condition, abide in him. And then, as I began to follow this pattern, this plan of abiding, what that means, this, uh, I discovered just a few verses, three verses down the chapter. That was verse 7, verse 10 in John 15 says this, If you keep my commandments... If you do what I told you to do, if you follow my word, Jesus said to his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do you abide in him? By following him, by obeying him, by keeping his word, by doing what he's taught you to do. Friend, you cannot violate what God's word has told you to do. Disregard what God has commanded and given you in his word and expect the blessings of God to flow out of heaven into your life. You've got to do what God has said to do. That's why, that's why we, we should not get confused when God is speaking about money. This is the contradiction. When God speaks about our giving money, it isn't because God needs your money or mine. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need any milk. He can milk all he wants out of those cows. He's got title deed. He doesn't, have, he doesn't need anything I own or that he's given to me. What he wants is my obedience, my surrender and commitment, and my willing, my being willing to do what he has told me to do, to give up what he says he don't, doesn't want me to be a part of, and to take into myself those things that he wants to add to me. That's what he wants from you and me. So if we be, obey his word in every way that we can, we won't be perfect in it and, and, except as we walk and develop and grow in him. But if we walk in his word and do what he said to do, we will reap the blessings of obedience. First John, now this is the same person God used to write the gospel according to John who wrote first, second, and third John. So in first John chapter 3 verse 22, I'm still talking about prove me faith. This is another verse. I, I discovered this before I put it together with prove me faith. But then it all came together. First John chapter 3, verse 22, he says, And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Now, whatever we ask, again, I'm not making excuses and cutting out things. To, to water down the power of what he says. I'm just trying to say to you that whatever we ask comes under that part of total surrender. And what we ask for and how we ask for it develops 
into the full plan and purpose of God as we draw closer and closer to Him. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Why? Here's the condition. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Write down 1 John 3.22. That's what it says. We receive what we ask from Him because when we do this, when we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him, 1 John 3.22, we receive what we ask from Him. You're better than you used to be. You're physically. You're, you've got a battle, you've got a struggle, but you're better than you were. You're going to get better still. As you walk closer and closer with God, you're going to receive more and more from Him. And God's going to heal your body in a unique and God-fashioned way. He's going to bring you to a change, to a deliverance, set you free, bring you out of those things that the doctor said they have, don't have any way to bring you out of. God is fully in power, in authority, and in control. And He can bring you through anything that has been inflicted upon you. And he will do it when we follow his plan. And his plan is for us to do exactly what he has told us to do. Keep his commandments and do what pleases him. First John chapter 3, verse 24, two verses down. He says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. How do we know we're abiding in him? Whoever keeps his commandments. If you do what God says, you keep his word, you live by his word, then you are abiding in him. That's what First John chapter 3, verse 24 says. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in God and God in him. Go all the way back to John chapter 15, verse 7. This is saying the very same thing. Whoever keeps his commandment abides in If you abide in me, that person abides in God. And God abides in him. The Lord Jesus is dwelling in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We do what God tells us to do. By faith, we can stand up and say, Lord, I am believing you for the amplification of your power in my life. I am believing for you for the expansion of the revelation of yourself in me. I'm believing you, Lord, for those things I've never understood nor had the ability to actually ask you for. But now you're showing them to me. And the more I dwell in you, and the more you dwell in me, the more I realize the path that I'm following is one that draws me closer to you. And I see the expressions of your power all around me, all the time, every day. We abide in him. He abides in us. That's the, that's the power of what Jesus said to his disciples. In John chapter 15, here's another scripture. Always with conditions, the promise of God means you do something, the Lord says, and then I'll do something. Luke 6, 38, King James again. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Give first, and we give it back to you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. What does that mean? That means in abundance. That means filling up the containers of your life to the fullness. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. Overflow in every way of the blessings of God. And what does that start with? It starts give. And he thought he may be talking about money more than anything else. 
He's talking about giving our lives to him. Give. The more we give. And you know something? I'm going to say this at the risk of you thinking that I'm campaigning for money because if you know me, you know I'm not. And if you don't know me and you think I am, it doesn't make any difference. You think what you want to think. God's kingdom is going to be built. He doesn't have to have your, your or my funds to do that. When he's talking to us about giving, he's talking about practicing the experience of obedience. And if you, if you find yourself stumbling over the ability to do what God speaks to you about in the finances of your life, you find yourself stumbling over your ability to obey God. I know it's sometimes a challenge to our faith. I know it's sometimes. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something that happened to me just now. just happened to me. At the end of the year, the Lord had been speaking to me about giving a certain amount and to our church. I don't know that God ever has. God has spoken to me about giving one or two other places, but almost every time God talks to me about giving to him, I understand he's talking about giving it to our church, so I don't have to debate that with it. Unless he tells me specifically and directly something otherwise. But I, I, I dwell on this for quite a while, because I will tell you what just what just the easiest thing to do. I dwell on it. I said, Lord, are you sure this is you? And every time I ask him, he said, yeah, it's me. Yep, I'm the one telling you. Well, I might have misunderstood. No, you didn't misunderstand. That's what I thought you did. I prayed about it, and I said, well, I don't see the need for this. He said, I don't need it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. But I'm talking about how I want to bless you. And if you want me to bless you, obey me. So after a while, I'm going to tell you how long it was. <laughs> after a while, I said, all right, Lord. Okay. It was a percentage of certain things. You know, if God's talked about giving a percentage of certain things, say, say you've got a little account, a big account, and God tells you to give a certain percentage of that. You think, well, the income comes into it on the 1st, so if I give it on the 25th, it won't be quite as much. And you start, <laughs> you start all these little things to figure out how you can reduce that and still obey. And the Lord said to me, give it when it's got the most in it. Well, I, I was just talking about it, Lord. I wasn't saying I was going to do any different. I just thought, just thought came through my mind. Give it when there's the most in it. <laughs> so I did. And then I had a problem with my red car. That car is the most expensive thing to fix. I mean, it costs more to maintain that car than it does to buy Carol's clothes. And I'm going to tell you, that's, that's a high step. <laughs> so I, I took the car for repair, and it, and, it, and, it, and it cost a few hundred dollars. And then I saw a big red light come on a few days later when I was driving. I called the guy that repairs and he said, stop, don't drive it anymore. Have it towed in. That does not ever sound good. But I had it towed in, I, and so towed in to him. So he called me and he started explaining to me a long technical explanation about the suspension in that car, hydraulic suspension. suspension. And I want to tell you what, I could stand here and tell you, explain that as little as I know, it'd be, it'd be beyond, I'd be talking about things beyond what I know. But he explained it all means. What bottom line, it all comes down to this. If you do something, they've come out with a change where you don't have to have this suspension. He said, I know people with cars like this where the suspension, suspension blew out. It cost them $12,000 to fix it. 
And he said, if you'll go ahead and do this early on, you won't have to, be, you won't have to do that. This new thing has come out. We can change the suspension in it. And I'm thinking, yeah, but we're not going to change it for $500. Right? So after a while, he gave me all that explanation. I said, about what is this going to cost? And I braced myself. Holding on to the phone in this corner of the desk. Besides, besides my right hand, what's it going to cost me? So he gave me a number. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, this is honestly. Of course, you know I wouldn't say it wasn't true anyway. Most of the time. <laughs> but the number he gave me was exactly the amount that I pulled out of our bank account and put in the church and gave to the Lord. And so what? I'm not saying he gave me the money. I'm saying he told me I was going to have to spend that much more. So, so what do you think the first thing I thought was? If I hadn't put that money into the church, I didn't say if I hadn't given it to the Lord. If I hadn't put that much money into the church, I'd have enough. wouldn't cost me anything. I'd be in the same place I am right now, and I could go have my car fixed. I haven't come up with the answer to that yet. I'm still, I haven't had the car fixed yet. It's not going to cost any less the longer I wait. I'm just figuring maybe God will do something to prove to me obeying Him works. And guess what? He will. He will. He's going to do that. And the reason I'm not telling you the numbers is because I don't want you to think, oh, I'll just go give Pastor a little bit of that. Some of that, maybe he'll raise the money. I'm not trying to do that. I don't have to do that. If God's in control, I'll just let him be in control. My car's not undrivable. It could stop at any time, but it's not undrivable. I'm going to drive it right on. believe God's going to keep it going until he gives me the... Now, I'm gonna, I want to be perfectly honest with you here. I could go out and have the car fixed. That just means I spend that much more money again. And maybe eventually that's what I'll do. But when God puts this plan all together, now listen, this is what I'm going to come back and tell you sometime later on. When God puts this plan all together, He gets all of His pieces in place. I'm right where He wants me to be for the move of God in this specific instance. And when that happens, God's going to meet that need. And I'm going to know that God, my supplier, has come through one more time. He is my provider. He is my supplier. He is the one who gives me the provision and gives me the answer. And God is going to do it. And I have no regret whatsoever. I have no regret in making that commitment to make that donation, that contribution to the work of the Lord because he put it on my heart to do it. I even went and talked to Carolyn about it and said, what do you think about it? If I was hoping she would tell me that couldn't be God. Well, she didn't. She said, if you believe that's God, I agree with you. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> when God gets us backed up into the place he wants us to be, so what we have to do is trust him. That's the only thing we can do. But it's the best thing we can ever do anyway is to prove him by our faith. Prove God by our obedience. If I say I'm going to do it, the Lord declares, I will do it. Psalm 89, 34, I've quoted so many times, says, I, My covenant 
Thy agreement with you I will not break, says the Lord, nor alter one thing that has gone out of my lips. I will do what I have said I will do. And God is faithful. Prove me faithful, declare that. And if you stand on that faith, you will always see God come through with the answer. So you do everything you know He wants you to do, and then you trust Him to do all He has told you He will do. That's the answer. I believe God is speaking to our hearts today. I believe God has really given us a message today of how, how to come into the place of deeper fellowship and deeper realization, not just expectation, but deeper realization of what He wants to do in our lives and in our church. And if God spoke into your heart about something today, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, please. All over this place, everyone, please bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment, because I'm going to ask you this.